your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew 21. Again, I want to welcome you. I uh, didn't get a chance to introduce. Uh, some of you may have recognized this, my uh, nephew Joseph and his wife Meryl, and we're so blessed every time you guys can come up and lead us in worship. Amen? And uh, they live down in uh, Orange County and uh, just happened to be on their way back home from up north a week and asked, hey, can we hang out? And I said, sure, you want to leave worship? <laughs> Always dangerous when you ask a pastor, right? So, uh, so blessed. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your gifting with us. So it's Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, and, and if you're familiar with the story, it really Palm Sunday has a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectations around Jesus entering Jerusalem. And I was thinking about anticipation, expectation, and, and for those of you who are into, into sports, maybe, you know, there's, there's some anticipation, expectation, there's college, college March Madness, you know, continues to move through to the Final Four and the championship game a week from Monday. Any golfers in the house, right? There's some maybe anticipation, expectation coming up early, early April, the Masters, right? And what's going to happen with that? Students in Ojai Valley, maybe there's some anticipation, expectation for another week off coming up, right? You got one more week of school, then you get another week off, right? And some of you are already anticipating that, expecting that. And, and I thought of that because when we come to Palm Sunday uh, and we see the crowd's reactions, there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation. Uh, but in that, where you ask a question, did all of them really know what they were yelling about? Were, were, did they have the right expectations? Do you ever go, go to a social event with a certain set of expectations and been disappointed? Anyone ever have a movie? Some one of your friends or family sees a movie and comes and rants and raves about the movie and builds your expectations. And then you go to the movie. Right? And, and didn't meet your expectations, right? And then it's always awkward when they come and ask you with a big smile. So, what'd you think? It's good. It's good. Right? And so Palm Sunday is really about expectations. And, and, and really, even in our walk with the Lord, what are our expectations? What are our expectations? Because sometimes if we don't have the right expectations, even in, even in churchdom, even in, in our walk with the Lord, you you might be disappointed. And it's nothing that the Lord has done. It's just that our expectations were off. Maybe we picked it up along the line. Maybe if someone said something, and you know, sometimes, uh, you know, that's where I, I feel even as a pastor, sometimes someone says, hey, I invited so-and-so to church, and I told them how great you are as a speaker. I'm like, oh my gosh. Really? Thanks, I think. Right? Yeah, I told him, man, you're just funny, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, oh, man, because there's these expectations. And then if you're here today, I ask for your patience, because this is the week that two days ago I thought I was losing my voice. And I actually told the leadership, can you pray for me? And, you know, Bill is, is the guy on deck, so he shows up with the sermon this morning, wondering if I'm having a voice enough to preach, right? And so sometimes even even in church, then we build up people's expectations, right? And Oh, he's kind of, okay, and I know the heart, and it's all great. And, and so when we read this story, read it maybe with a sense of, well, 
what was the expectation, right? So in Matthew 21, verse 1, let's just read, let's just read Jesus' entry. It says, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. So if you're, if you're familiar with that, right? Jesus, they prepare him, they put him on a donkey, he starts entering Jerusalem. The whole city in preparation for Passover had swelled to maybe two million people from all over to celebrate Passover. Right? And if you're familiar with Passover, Passover was celebrating deliverance from slavery in Egypt, right? And so here comes Jesus in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, right? See, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So people, kind of there's a group in front of Jesus, there's Jesus, there's a group behind him. When it says the whole city was stirred, that's where we get the word seismic, there was, there was a quaking, the whole city. There was a rumbling. Somebody's coming, somebody's coming, right? They start yelling, Hosanna to the Son of David, right? And if you were here at the beginning of service, we said Hosanna initially in Psalm 118 was a cry for help. Save me, help me, save me. And over time, Hosanna transitioned into, Hallelujah, I've been saved. Salvation has come, right? So people are... Seeing this procession, they start yelling, Hosanna to the Son of David. They start uh, waving palm branches, right? And, and in Leviticus, actually, it says, you know, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. They took branches, but actually have several different trees, and palm branches were, were one of them, right? So that's where that comes from. Palm branches being waved in the Feast of Tabernacles was a rejoicing. So they're celebrating, right? And so Jesus is coming. But for many, their expectations didn't really match why he was really coming. He was seen as a king, but for many of them, he was going to be a political king, a military king, to deliver them from bondage, oppression of who? Rome. The Romans. So for many, their expectation, they're screaming and shouting, right? Hey, our king, our king is coming. They're hooting and hollering because they think, ah, freedom from Rome, deliverance from Rome. That's why he's here, finally. Zechariah 9.9, finally we get to throw the Romans out of here, right? 
kind of the challenge with that is that it says in verse 5, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a what? A donkey. Okay. So if you're there hooting and hollering for deliverance from Rome by your king, clue number one that maybe your expectation might not match the guy coming in is he's not on a stallion. He's not on a stallion. See, Roman generals, when they returned in triumph into cities, there was a procession, there was a, there was a celebration, but they came in on a stallion. That was a sign of military victory, right? And in fact, in Revelation, we know that Jesus is coming back on a stallion. He's riding a donkey. Donkeys in those times were a sign of peace. A sign of peace. Right? So they might be expecting, thinking that, hey, our king has come. The Romans are going to be gone. We're going to have social, military, economic peace. Jesus is like, no, I'm coming for a different peace. I'm talking to establish, I'm coming to establish peace between God and man. Between God and man. Right? And, and we got to understand this. And, and I'm so, I'm actually, you know, I was like, Lord, you're so good. Because we've been studying covenant the last two weeks. And, and covenant is a word that's maybe not used much anywhere anymore, except maybe in the context of marriage. But now we say marriage ceremonies. We don't even talk about the covenant of marriage. And, and we've seen the last two weeks that the word covenant is the word that you and I should be using when anyone ever asks us, hey, I hear that this Christianity thing, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Anyone ever hear that? Right? So then the question is, well, what kind of relationship? What kind of relationship? Right? And in the last few weeks, we've looked at several C words. Ah, it's committed. I'm committed. I'm consistent. You know, some good ones. Other C words, maybe not so pleasant. Ah, it's casual. It's cultural. Last week, it's cruise control. You know, I got my ticket to heaven, and I'm just on cruise control. Right? Maybe it's a contract. And finally, the last few weeks, no, no, no. If anyone ever asks you, as a believer, well, tell me what this, what, describe in one word what it means to be a Christian. What kind of a personal relationship is that? You should just say without, without hesitation, biblically, it's covenant. It's covenant. And we've got to understand that because as you understand covenant biblically, your relationship deepens with the Lord. And as your relationship deepens with the Lord, your relationship with others deepens. See, if, you, if, you, if, if your Christianity is casual, convenient, you know, concerned primarily about what I get out of stuff, why I go to church, or I hope I get a good sermon, I hope the music's good, I hope child is good, I hope, I hope I get something, I hope men's group is good tonight, right? That's kind of shallow. It's really shallow. It's a shallow Christianity. And then we wonder why we don't have real relationships in the church. You know, we're really good Sunday. We're like really good at potluck. And we're really good at teas and all that. And nothing wrong with that. You know, I think, Bill, you say, you know, we're, we're a mile wide and an inch deep. 
And what's, what, what's missing is a real understanding of what it means to be in covenant with God first and how that covenant goes this way. And that's what we've been looking at over the last two weeks. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the, to the message, I, I encourage you to because here's the thing. Jesus says, hey, church, hey, disciples, love one another as what? Because I have loved you. How many of you are overwhelmed when you think about Jesus' love for you? It's just overwhelming. You're just like, are you kidding me? All the way to there? Now, he just said, love one another. Ooh. And the whole basis of understanding that is covenant. It's a covenant love. It's a covenant love. And, and we saw that in, 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 in what does it mean? We saw in a few examples when, when, uh, when God made a covenant with Abraham. We talked about the walk of death. Oftentimes in covenant, they would split an animal in half and the two people making covenant would stand in the mess of the blood and everything and they would recite the covenant agreement and they would say, hey, here's the deal. We're standing in this mess and this animal that's just been sacrificed. If either of us don't fulfill our end of the deal, may it be the same to us. That's how serious God takes covenant, right? And we saw the crazy great thing when he made that covenant with Abraham was that God was the one standing in the middle. Where was Abraham? Asleep. God was committing himself to fulfill the covenant with Abraham. That's how serious he takes it, right? I shared with you, that's why one of the traditions carries forward in wedding ceremonies. And I think I did it with you guys, right? I got a chance to marry Christian and Jason, and they walked down, and I said, Hey, did you know what you just did? You just walked down the walk of death. And we, we, we just talked about this in their wedding ceremony. That's how serious God takes covenant, right? You make it before God, and you make it before others. We saw last week another element of making covenant between Jonathan and David was an exchange, Right? They exchanged belts, which was a sign of, of strengths and weaknesses. When you're weak, I'll be strong. When I'm, when, you know, They exchanged their weapons, which meant, hey, your enemies are now my enemies. Pledged to protect each other. And they exchanged robes, which is like, you know what? We're now one. My identity is fully consumed in your identity. I willingly give up. I willingly give up independent living. Right? It was willing. That day when we celebrated, weren't get a big smile on your face. You were willing. It was joyful, wasn't it? No pressure, but joyful. Couldn't wait to give up all independent living. <laughs> right? You want to. It was a want to. For the sake of this relationship, this covenant, no, take all the independent living. I'm all in on this. Right? We celebrate that in marriage, and that's what the Lord wants. When we come to the Lord in a covenant relationship, we willingly, joyfully give up ourselves. For the sake of all the blessings he gives us in what? What's called the new covenant. The new covenant. And we saw that God is a covenant God. I love this quote. Go ahead, Eileen, you can put up that quote. 
Because the covenant concept is a central unifying theme of Scripture, establishing and defining God's relationship with people in all ages. And we saw throughout the Old Testament, all the way to the New, go ahead, Tyler, that God was a covenant God. And, it, and he established these covenants all the way through to the New Covenant. And here's the thing that many of us, I think, maybe we weren't taught, maybe we just kind of glossed over. What we celebrate this week, beginning today with Palm Sunday, all the way through the resurrection, is really the culmination of the arrival of the New Covenant. That's how this week fits. It's not just an annual thing we do. Good Friday and Easter together ratify and establish the New Covenant. That's how it all fits in the big picture. That's when you start to understand, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? We fell, we were separated from God, all throughout the Old Testament, he brings the, he establishes, initiates covenants with man, because he wants a relationship with who? Us. All the way to the new covenant, which is what this week is about. Which is what this week is about, right? In the new covenant, crazy, incredible promises, right? There's a change of heart. He says, hey, you know what? I'm going to take that heart of stone. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. You can have a relationship with me. I will be their God. They will be my people. And here's the thing. Once and for all, forgiveness. See, the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they just covered sin. In the New Covenant, by His blood, for the very first time and for all eternity, sins can be forgiven. How many of you maybe have a file cabinet full of your sins that you just sort of kept tucked away in your mind palace. Anyone? Anyone have a few? That you, for whatever reason, you just like to, every once in a while, open that file cabinet and go, oh, I remember that. I remember that. Woo, remember that season of my life. Anyone got one of those? Some, for some reason, you just got this, you keep this file. You keep this, maybe it's a two drawer, maybe it's a four drawer, maybe it's a ten story. I don't know. Here's the crazy thing. Under the new covenant, under his blood, he says that I will remember their sins no more. Hmm. It, now, that phrase is very important because people think, oh, he forgets them. Oh, no. There's a difference between remembering no more and forgetting. God doesn't forget like, oh, gosh, <laughs> what did you do last week, young man? I'm so old, I can't remember. What's your name? Right? That is not what remember you're saying. He chooses not to. Because you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Right? Who remembers our sins? Who tends to remember our sins? We do. And Satan then brings it up and says, Oh, so you want to serve at that church? Let me look under the Aubrey file. Oh, that's a big one. Remember this? How about that? Right? So, so we rehearse this stuff. We're the ones that remember it. The devil throws past at us. Right? He's the accuser. Right? 
But under the new covenant, God says he remembers our sins no more. No more. Right? That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's what we talked about, being clothed positionally in the righteousness of Christ. That gives us the freedom to move forward. Leave the shackles behind. Leave the guilt and the shame behind. Amen? Amen, right? I've shared with you stories before, right? I, I, you know, I, I grew up in San Diego, and I know it can be awkward, you know, all this freedom to move forward. But I go back to San Diego, and sometimes old high school friends want to get together. And I always feel a little bit, ah, this is going to be weird. You know, because they're going to find out, they're going to eventually ask, what do you do? I'm like, uh, surf. You're a what? <laughs> really, dude? <laughs> you know, because it's kind of weird, because the old crowd that I grew up with, they remember my sins, because we did it together. And it's kind of weird, right? You get saved, you get positionally clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and then he says, well, go back into that environment. Oh, really? Well, I need you to be salt and light. I need you to show them. I get, you know, that you don't want to get tempted. I get you don't want to, but, but if you don't go and show them what it is to be transformed under the new covenant, how else are they going to see it in flesh? How else are they going to see it lived out? I remember your sins no more. Go back there in light of who you are today. Just be who you are today. It's okay, right? And so, on this Palm Sunday, we look at Jesus' entry into Jerusalem in light of the new covenant. In light of God's grand plan for all eternity to what? Bring us back to relationship with him. Man! That's pretty cool, right? And, and, and then it's interesting because, depending on your church upbringing, many of us tend to focus on Good Friday and then what? Easter, right? Good Friday and then Easter. My guess is, and again, depending on your church upbringing, many of us in here may not have spent a lot of time on Maundy Thursday. Monday, what did he say? Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday? What, what? Monday? Monday, Thursday. Just, just how many know Monday, Thursday? Just, okay, this many. Monday, Thursday, you got to get this. This is real important to understand this week. Monday, Thursday basically sets up Good Friday and Easter. Everything that happens on Good Friday and Easter is foretold and is established on Maundy Thursday. It's called Holy Thursday, and look what else it's called. Covenant Thursday. Maundy is a Latin word for commandment, and it's based on John thirteen thirty four, where Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Maundy Thursday. Holy Thursday. Covenant Thursday. Sets up Good Friday and Easter. And it's a powerful, powerful understanding of the Passion Week to go, okay, Lord, 
what is that timeline? What does this new covenant mean for me in 2018? Well, when you understand God's plan, God had a plan for his people. God has a plan for the planet. God has a plan for you. It all starts to click. And you go, man, Lord, you love me that much? I'm a part of your plan because you want a relationship with me? That's the value in knowing all of this. That's the value in knowing, knowing all of this. And, and, and if we understand covenant, and we've been looking at different elements of, to help us understand covenant, there's, there's a, an element in, in making of a covenant, the covenant ceremony that I want to focus on in light of Maundy Thursday, which will help us understand Maundy Thursday. And, and that's the covenant meal. Anyone ever been to a wedding reception? Wedding receptions are actually a carry forward of the biblical covenant meal. At the end of all the different things that they would do officially, there would be a covenant meal. Now that's seen in a covenant between Laban and Jacob. They make a treaty in uh, Genesis 31, 51 to 54, right? And at the end of that, he says, he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. What's crazy, sometimes you see that, oh, they invited his relatives to a meal. How many of you just thought they were had dinner? They just ordered out. You just glossed right over that, right? Isn't that amazing? When God ratifies and confirms his covenant with Moses and his people at Mount Sinai, look what it says in Exodus 24, 9 through 11. In verse 11, but God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God, and they ate and drank. What's that called? A covenant meal. It's a covenant meal. The groups come together, and it's kind of a proof of agreement, right? It's, a, it's another symbol of, of we're one. We are in one, right? And, and here's, here's what they would do in a covenant meal. A couple of, of things, important things would happen. The people making the covenant would sit before witnesses. Ever see a head table at a wedding reception? Right? They would sit before witnesses, and before anyone ate, oftentimes this is what they would do. The two people making covenant. They would feed each other. Anyone ever see a bride and groom feed each other cake? And smash and all that kind of stuff, right? 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 That's not just something we do for fun. The feeding of each other. One person says it this way. As you are ingesting this food, you are ingesting me. You are taking me into your life. It's a real deal. We're sharing this food. I'm feeding you. You're feeding me. We are one. Inseparable. Right? And then what they would often do is they would drink from one cup of wine, and oftentimes what they would do, each party would contribute a drop of blood into the cup. And they would drink the commingled blood in the wine. We're one. We are one. We are in union. We are identified in this covenant. Arthur says, in the covenant meal, the total oneness of covenant, the insoluble bond was once again emphasized as they, placed, as they placed a piece of bread in their covenant partner's mouth and said, you are eating me. 
Then would come the cup of covenant, a cup oftentimes holding a drop of each person's blood. Offering it to his partner, each would say, you are drinking me. Kind of sounds familiar to somebody saying this on Monday, Thursday. Right? Turn to Luke 22. And suddenly the Old Testament comes to life on Monday, Thursday. When Jesus celebrates what we call the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Right? Luke 22. His disciples had set up the Passover meal. And it's a beautiful setup, right? In the Passover, they celebrated once again deliverance from slavery in Egypt, right? And so they were commanded to celebrate it. So they celebrate the Passover meal. They all they, they set it up. They celebrate it, right? And then in verse 14, Luke 22, let's look at that. When the hour came, Jesus and his, his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. What's really interesting, in traditional Passover meals, they would have four cups of wine. When he says, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God, he's speaking about the fourth cup. He's holding the third cup here. The fourth cup we're going to drink when everything gets fulfilled. He's speaking future tense here. Hey, when God fulfills it all and it's all good to go, we're going to get together and I'm going to celebrate with you. That fourth cup. But now he's, he's holding the third cup. He's holding the third cup. He says, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So he takes bread, and they tore bread. And the bread is symbolic of his body, the sacrifice, right? John one twenty nine says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In John 6, 48, says, I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world, right? then he continues. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup. This is cup number three, and it's very interesting. The third cup in the Passover meal was called the cup of redemption, or the cup of blessing. It says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, that sentence for many of us who have grown up in the church is so cliche, so played out, so yeah, yeah, I've heard that since I was a little kid, that we lose the significance of that. Put yourself back in present tense time with the guys that are there. 
who knew scriptures. Right? Jesus says, this cup, he's holding this cup, it's real, is the new covenant in what? My blood. These guys had to have a, are you kidding me? He just said that that prophecy from Jeremiah 31 is happening right now. There's a moment that we cannot even fathom the depth of what was being said and the reaction of the guys in the room. A prophecy, we saw that chart, right? Ali put up that chart of the covenants again. He's saying, hey, you know all of these covenants that pointed to the new covenant, Jeremiah 31, that prophecy that was going to end up there? He's saying at this exact moment in time, it's here and it's me. In my blood. It had to just, I mean, I don't know, it must have just gone quiet. Because God was moving and had moved and Jesus was announcing the arrival of the new covenant in him. Through his broken body and his blood. His blood, right? And, and we, we sit there and, and Jesus ultimately is saying, I am your covenant meal. I am your covenant meal. And so it's so interesting, right? We, we, if we're not careful, we lose sight that, go back to that last supper, go back to the Lord's Supper. He broke bread and said, hey, guys, this is symbolic of what's about to happen to me tomorrow. And, and guys, by the way, that new covenant that was prophesied in Jeremiah 31, it's in my blood, which is going to happen tomorrow. Monday, Thursday, Jesus, this last supper, the Lord's Supper, he's telling them what's about to happen because the new covenant is now. They had to just be, are you kidding me? It's all about you. And suddenly they connect in all these thoughts about all these things they heard Jesus say. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of all those things. And suddenly they're realizing this is the moment. The new covenant is here. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, wouldn't it be interesting to think about this? We're used to this just being grape juice. And so we take it sort of in remembrance of and, and that unity and that oneness. But I got to tell you, if, if I drop the blood in here and you drop the blood in here and we're supposed to take this? <laughs> right? Suddenly it's not just church ritual and it's not just a weekly thing. Suddenly it's real. Suddenly got real, real quick. And Jesus on Monday, Thursday at the Last Supper, which he turned into the Lord's Supper, which we call communion, it got real, real quick. Because he said, hey, you know that new covenant that was prophesied? It's here, and it's all about my broken body, and it's going to be ratified in my blood tomorrow. And here's the incredible thing. It's because God loves you. 
It's because God loves you. And your deal of the new covenant, believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus. Take up your cross daily and follow him as a new creation. Amen? I mean, it's amazing. Under the terms of the new covenant, he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved, right? He gives you a new heart. He puts his Holy Spirit in you to give you the desire to want to obey him. And it's a done deal forever. Amen? And you're like, well, how do I know? How do I know? Abraham asked God, well, how do I know I'm getting all those promises? He said, okay, watch this, Abraham. You go to sleep, I'm going to walk the walk of death. So you might be saying, well, okay, that sounds really good, that new covenant and and forgiveness of sin and, and Holy Spirit in me and a changed heart and a relationship. That might sound really good. How do I know? Certainly Good Friday made sense because he ratified it in his blood. That's the significance of Jesus shedding his blood is ratifying the new covenant in his blood. That's why he says, look at Luke twenty-two twenty. This cup is the new covenant. What? In my blood, which is poured out for you. How do I know? How do you know? It's his blood. And here's the crazy thing. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is a gift. So God, all the way from the Old Testament, is proactively initiating covenants because he desires a relationship. He sends Jesus. On Monday, Thursday, Jesus spills all the beans and says, Hey, by the way, that new covenant is now, and it's in me. And just receive it by faith. It's a gift. You ever receive a gift that was so overwhelming that you didn't know what to say because you, one of those, how, I can't believe you gave me this. Anyone? It's a human level, right? You're like, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you, I can't, and you just, you're speechless. You're like, okay, now magnify that infinitely and exponentially. To the Lord Jesus, saying, just take it as a gift. God loves you so much. I invite you into the new covenant and I'm ratifying it by my broken body and I'm ratifying it in my blood. Well, what am I supposed to do? Receive it. Receive it. And then when you understand covenant that way, now Jesus says, oh, and by the way, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. What would happen to this world and the testimony of the church if the church loved one another the way Jesus did? The testimony would speak for itself. Amen? That's that depth. That's what takes us past potluck and, and, and socials, which are fine. That's what deepens church relationships. When we understand covenant, 
when we understand the new covenant in his blood, when we understand that under the new covenant this way, he says, now, you know what? This covenant love that you're so overwhelmed from me to you, now I want you to go me to you to them. One another. Me? There. Do that and watch what happens. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that this week isn't just another week of a series of events that we sort of traditionally celebrate. But this week we remember that you are a covenant God and that everything that happened this week really ultimately leads us to yell, Hosanna, for the new covenant has come. And on Monday, Thursday, Jesus... You were very clear that it was the new covenant in your blood. We may not understand that kind of love and we may feel so absolutely unworthy and undeserving. And that's the point. That's the point of it all. It's called grace, unmerited favor. And we're reminded that salvation is a gift received by grace through faith. And perhaps in understanding what happened that evening, it changes what we do this morning in communion. You broke bread and you said, hey guys, in a day, my body's going to be broken. And you held up a cup and you said, Hey, in a day, my blood is going to be shed. And that was a covenant meal they were celebrating. It was a covenant meal. And so I pray this morning for us as we prepare for communion that that we would examine our hearts and we've never just received the gift of salvation and entered into the new covenant that we would just, just speak our hearts to you, Jesus, and express our desire and our faith in you. Or maybe we've sort of slid into a bit of callousness and apathy about communion and Friday and Easter and we never really understood it in light of covenant and new covenant and, and this morning you just stirred our hearts and maybe we come forward to the table as a reaffirmation a redeclaration a public demonstration no yes I am I am a believer in Jesus I understand more clearly what these cups represent I understand more clearly what I'm doing at the communion table and I publicly Affirm and declare, I am a follower of Christ. And then, Lord, as we come forward, would you give us a moment just to look around the room at all the others who are coming forward in recognition that it's not just about me, it's your church. It's your church. 
And you call us to love one another in your church as you have loved us. And so, Lord, we come forward and we even recognize your church. And that we are called to love one another here in New Life. So, Lord, we come to the table. Come to the table again. If you are visiting, you are more than welcome to join us as a follower of Christ. And if there's cups and bread up front, you can come forward and take it back to your seats and just have a time with the Lord and, and take the elements as, as you're ready. And then afterwards, we'll have a song. So we just invite you to come to the communion table.